You're listening to All Things Video, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Jasper Donat, co-founder and CEO of Branded. Jasper, welcome to the show. Hey, James. It's a pleasure to be here, and greetings from a rather wet and rainy uh, Singapore. Sounds like uh, normal Singaporean weather then, huh? Well, it's also I'm English, so I have to get the weather into, into the first sentence of any, any conversation. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm it's pretty normal. It'll be sunny in an hour. Exactly. Very good. Well, you're in Singapore. I'm in LA. This is the first time we're doing a, a video version of All Things Video. So it only took me, what, five years to live up to the name and, and finally embrace the video format. But really excited we get to do this. I'm, I'm honored to be your crash test dummy. There we go. <laughs> So you mentioned you're a, you're a Brit, uh, you know, by background. So tell me the story. Where are you from originally? How did you make your way to APAC? Um, born in London, um, North London. Um, uh, left school quite early to, to go out and uh, uh, start working. I was selling houses originally. <laughs> Probably the best job ever. Um, and then uh, left to go backpacking. Still, I'm still on, basically, I'm still on my year out from school. Um, Came home, my mother had arranged me without me knowing to meet someone in the advertising industry. Uh, met them on a Friday, I was working for them by the Monday, um, having, having promised never to work again. Uh, got into that, got into the broadcast industry, was working for a, a network called Eurosport um, for a few years, which was a lot of fun in the early 90s, just at the, launch, the start of satellite television and kind of launching channels and stuff. And then uh, Rupert Murdoch bought Star TV in Asia, and my boss uh, went out to work for the Star. I got the call saying, do you want to come and live in Hong Kong, work and live in Hong Kong? I said, no, I'm 25. I own the world. I, you know. <laughs> um, but I went out for an interview for a weekend and thought, hey, you know, I'm 25. I have zero responsibilities other than a mortgage payment. Um, let's do it. So, so I promised my mom I was going to, Go for two years. This was in 1995. I still promise her I'm here for two years. <laughs> just 20, a little bit longer, mom. Just over 26 years later, I think. And, wow. Um, and yeah, so so we were working for Star um, in a really interesting time for the satellite TV mm. industry. Uh, originally for uh, Star Sports, which is now Fox Sports. Uh, they merged with ESPN. We came down to Singapore in '97. And then there was a wonderful music channel called Channel V, which was like MTV for Asia. Um, which had launched in, in they, they had also launched. And so I went back to Hong Kong to help run that. I ran all the sales, marketing, business development. Um, and we were launching music channels. It, it was, I would say, like working for MTV in 1984 when it was launching. We were launching music channels around Asia and just having the most fun imaginable and getting paid for it. Um, but, you know, That's working awesome. in places like India, China, the Philippines, Australia, Vietnam, Malaysia. It was just, it was a lot of work, but it was so much fun. Um, and that, that carried on till 2001, I guess. And then I left and with my partner at the time, Michael Denmark, we set up a company called Branded. We had very little idea what we were doing other than we had amazing networks. We had the ability to open doors for people in this part of the world. And 19 years later, we're still doing that. We're still very much connecting, connecting uh, people. So uh, it's been a long transformation, but yeah, yeah. It's, been, it's been a lot of fun. 
Very good. Well, I want to dig into a few pieces there. Uh, starting off with, you know, what was it like being in your mid twenties in Hong Kong in in the nineties, right? What what was it like as an expatriate for the first time? Um, someone far cleverer than me um, said it's like being at university with money. Um, you literally have no responsibilities other than your rent and your tax. Um, you're not living with your parents, so some, we used to say it's so much fun because you could eat chocolate for breakfast. Um, and but but you you work hard and play hard, um, and you make friends. You know, I, I've always said that the friends you make as an expat are better than the friends you make at home because they're your family, and everyone looks after each other. It's just it's just that little bit more, and and so yeah, friends for life, experiences that that just go on for life. Um, and, and uh, yeah, just a wonderful, wonderful time. You know, you're 25 years old and you're living in a foreign country where the bars stay open all night and, and yeah, you can eat chocolate for breakfast. <laughs> so, um, pr probably that's the, the name of my memoirs, but, but and, yeah. And it, Hong Kong is pretty cosmopolitan, right? So a lot of expats, uh, a lot of obviously English speakers is probably an easy introduction to, to working in the region. But, you know, I'm sure there were still a lot of cultural differences, a lot of nuances about, you know, coming from the UK and, and uh, landing in such a new place. Yeah, I mean, it was pre it was pre handover. So there was the British connection. Um, but, you know, they, they used to say that China was Asia, Hong Kong was Asia light, and Singapore at the time was Asia super light. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's, that was pretty close to the truth. Um, but but it, it was a very very soft landing, very easy landing into into the Asia Pacific markets. Um, but also learning how different everywhere in Asia is. Every single country, every single culture, every single language, the di the nuances within each co country as well, and, and the different languages and cultures and, and stuff. And so, so yeah, Hong Kong um, uh, was a, was a fairly soft landing. I mean, I, I said this to someone yesterday. Actually, my one regret in life right now is as a 25 year old, I didn't learn Chinese. I didn't, whether it was Mandarin or Cantonese, I didn't learn it. Now, you didn't have to in Hong Kong because most people did speak English and business language was in English. Um, and I think if I was in Beijing or Shanghai, you have to learn Mandarin, you have to Definitely. immerse yourself in the culture. Um, and so you know, I had a very interesting conversation with my daughter recently, she speaks fluent Mandarin because she's learned it since she was two years old in Hong Kong. Amazing. And she realized that uh, her mother and I don't speak Chinese. And she, she's like, so why don't you speak Chinese? You make me do my Chinese homework. Why don't you speak Chinese? And the answer is because we were too lazy to learn. Yeah. Is the, is the reality, right? We didn't, you can't, you know, we didn't have to, but we didn't. And so I do have this one regret that, that I wish I had learned Chinese. And so if, if I was 25 and had to do it all again, yeah, I, I would seriously consider going to Beijing or Shanghai to, just for that very reason. Because, I mean, you know, Chinese is becoming the lingua franca around the world. It's going to, mm -hmm. you know, it's second, I think, second most spoken language. But, yeah, so that's, so that's, but, but at the time, you didn't think, I need, at the time, you yeah, didn't sure. need to. I, I think you can get home in a taxi. You can order yeah. a beer. And that's kind of what you needed. Um, but, yeah, I, yeah, I wish I'd learned more. Yeah, maybe maybe Brits suffer uh, from a little bit of this as well, but I think Americans were just were lazy, right? There's like you said, there's no uh, pressure to learn another language, and so you know when I travel, I just I, I have a little bit of basic Spanish from you know when I was growing up and taking classes, but um, I wish I had been a better student because it would have served me 
well in, in my career and just in life to be able to speak another language. And once you know two, it's easy to pick up a third, et cetera. And I, I just, that's something that my fiance and I talk a lot about. It's like when we have kids, we want to absolutely make sure that they're exposed to other cultures and, and learn a second language. Absolutely. Very, very, very the kids in language. You know, it was, I think it was fairly arrogant back in those days that people would, you know, and it wasn't just, you know, people from all over the world would walk into China and start speaking English to everyone in their meetings. And, and this is even before email, but you'd still send faxes and stuff in English. And I used to say this to people in the, U in the UK and America, imagine someone from China walking into a meeting with you and just speaking Chinese and expecting you to understand them. Yeah. You know, I think that was really arrogant that we, we that we expected this this kind of level of English and stuff. And, mm. and so, you know, and, and uh, even though Hong Kong at the time was the gateway into China. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's it, like I said, I, I, w I wish I'd learned Chinese. Um, now, yeah. Hong Kong is 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 now it's going through its own issues, but it's it's the gateway from China. You sure. know, and, and you look at what's happening in Shenzhen. You've got Tencent, you've got Alibaba, you've got Huawei, you've got these are massive, massive Chinese companies literally on Hong Kong's border. Yeah. So if you don't speak Chinese now, you've got very little reason to, to be there. Um, there. There are a few, a few industries left, but, but really you need to be able to speak Mandarin uh, yeah. in Hong Kong. I don't want to get too far afield, but you know, while we're on the subject, what does the future of Hong Kong look like as China asserts, you know, more, more pressure and, and uh, obviously an intention of bringing it under a single system again? Uh, what does that mean for the future of, of business? And, and, you know, all of this is happening at, at a time when we've got this digital Cold War heating up between China and the U.S., you know, blocking TikTok after years of, of China blocking Western apps uh, because they wouldn't abide by censorship and other government policies. What what does the future hold given all of these various forces at play? Um, that that really is quite literally a six hundred and forty billion dollar <laughs> question. I mean, here's a loaded think, good question, yeah. Yeah, it is, and, and and I don't think anyone can answer that right now. Yeah. We we were actually looking at doing a, a virtual event on the new um, uh, laws in in Hong Kong and what it means for media companies because mm. no one knows, but but genuinely. No one knows. I don't. I don't even know if the Hong Kong government knows what the actual meanings of the law is. I mean, I mean I'd need to fact check this, but there are there are over. I believe there are over sixty articles in the new law, and the Chinese government have have explained. I believe one. Now, again, mm. this is this is you know from re reading the newspapers and stuff. So, but it's. I, I don't think anyone knows the answer to that question just yet um, as to what it means for Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. uh, what it means for the rest of the world. Um, you know, I, I have co-located now between Hong Kong and Singapore. I still have a home in Hong Kong. My daughter was yeah. born in Hong Kong. Okay. You know, I, I hope, I, I, I pray for its future. I, I, you know, it's, yeah. it's a magical, magical place. There's nowhere like it in the world. Um, it has gone through a lot of problems of late, um, but I, you know, Hong Kong really matters and I do hope it it, it, it can it does have a, a habit of bouncing back as an extremely yeah. resilient population um, you know we've had in the years I've been there I think there were two recessions you had you had the the financial crisis in 98 you had the global fa financial meltdown in 2008 and we had SARS so mm. so three extreme situations and in all cases bounced back now mm. 
this one's pretty bad and you know you've got the protests and 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 covid now so you know but i hope hong kong's resilience shines through yeah and if nothing else my first reaction was it's you know it's a big boon for singapore right much like brexit has been such an opportunity for amsterdam and various cities particularly in germany um it's just it seems like there's going to be an influx of of uh commercial activity now happening in singapore because it's really become the new gateway to to asia particularly southeast asia uh they've done a really good job of positioning themselves as being very western friendly business friendly type of environment yeah you know but this has got nothing to do with um the the covid situation it's got nothing to do with the the protests the political situation mm -hmm. Singapore many, many years ago um, decided that they wanted to be the, the media hub, the entertainment hub for Southeast Asia. Um, I would say probably in the early, in the early noughties, they, they, they made this decision and, and delivered on it. They attracted, you know, like I said, we moved down here in 1987 for a bit because ESPN Star Sports was here. Mm -hmm. um, Viacom moved here. Um, Disney were here, Fox moving here. So then Google set up its headquarters, its, its, its Asian headquarters yeah. here or Southeast Asian headquarters, Facebook, Twitter, they're all here. Um, mm -hmm. And they have very small representative offices in Hong Kong, which are more ad sales based, mm. um, that more, the more product focused. Um, and, and then, you know, local offices around the region. So so the government in Singapore, the EDB, the Economic Development Board, did a very good job to persuade people to come down here. So that had happened already. Um, I, th I think the, the political situation in Hong Kong may have escalated that somewhat, but it's, it's really, I mean, like I said, Hong Kong being the springboard into China and then now the gateway out. Um, Hong Kong was, was, I think, suffering a, a little bit of a confidence crisis and, and mm. um, not, not, not confidence, sorry, uh, uh, identity crisis. Mm, mm. What did it stand for? Um, you know, it says that it's Asia's world city. So there's a question mark as to how, how can Hong Kong maintain that claim pre-political pre situation, pre-COVID? Pre so when it comes back, is it genuinely Asia's world city or has Singapore stolen that mantle? And it's a very good question. Um, uh, for the media and entertainment business, Singapore is de facto, the Southeast Asian hub. They are becoming the Asia Pacific hub. Um, and recently they said they want to become a global hub. And, you know, the government in Singapore, when they say something, they tend to do it. Oh yeah. And they tend to do it quite successfully. So, so it's interesting to see. It's an interesting time, interesting time to, to be in Singapore, interesting time to be in Hong Kong. Um, you know, interesting time for everyone. Very good. Well, kind of returning to your, your origin story, uh, you started your career kind of uh, in ad sales and kind of, you know, getting a, a, a rapid fire introduction to media and entertainment. And, um, you know, I was curious, what, just as an interesting aside, perhaps, is what was maybe the worst job that you ever had? Was there anything that was uh, either challenging or a tough situation <laughs> or just any funny stories along the way? Um, good question. Okay, so something that doesn't appear on my LinkedIn profile. I have to remember this question as, as, as something to use in the future. What have you <laughs> on your LinkedIn profile? No. Um, when, I, when, I was, when I left school, um, just, in, just into my 17th birthday, November, 19, I'm going to say November 1984, um, 
these were the days that you could get the Evening Standard newspaper in London, and there was you know, three quarters of it was job was classified jobs ads, and you could be an office assistant, you could be a sales assistant, you could be a, you know, there's just there were jobs everywhere, and I got my first job. <laughs> forgotten this. My first job was standing on street corners in London, selling insurance policies to women. Life insurance to women. Um, I can't remember the name of the company. I, I, I'd have to search my memory bank. By the way, when you when you turn fifty, you 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 uh, tend to forget things like that. That's right. But it was it was selling insurance, and it was terrible. But I was I seemed to be really good at it. I was what what we were doing was We had to go up to women and say, hey, you know, do you want to do you want to have a successful future? And then and then take their details, and then someone would phone them and, and try and mm -hmm. flog them a, a, a thing. So yeah. we were just hanging out not chatting up women but stopping women on street corners and talking uh -huh. to women and having fun and yeah. i remember being on i'm not so sure street. you could get away with that today but yeah <laughs> oh i lost your audio oh what was that just 10 the, seconds the, back. yeah it, it was the, the, the it was just ins life insurance for women so we were yeah yep. we, we weren't it was very it was a lot of fun just just chatting yeah. to, to women on street corners I remember being on Oxford Street, a corner on Oxford Street. I haven't told anyone this. I was standing on a, on a street corner in Oxford Street. The, the, there was a building next to me that was getting sandblasted. Um, so there's all this huge noise and there's sand everywhere. And it started raining. I'm 17 years old and just thinking, WTF am I doing here? <laughs> and, this, and I was with a, a, a Danish guy called Christian. And a Spanish chap came up to us out of the blue and said, would you like a job in Spain? And selling, selling property. <laughs> and we said, yeah. And literally, <laughs> okay. I, with no joke, the next day, Christian and I were at Gatwick Airport to meet this little Spanish guy again. Hmm. And I remember saying to my mum, I need a suit. I'm going to Spain to work. And she said, where in Spain? I said, I don't know. And wow. so we went out. We went out and we bought a suit in Muswell Hill. Okay. And I, was at, I was at Gatwick Airport with this guy Christian the next day, and we were handed flight tickets with our names on them, and it was to, it was and I didn't recognise the name of the of the airport. But anyway, so we we got on the plane, and we flew, to, and I remember landing and saying to someone, "So where are we?" And they said, "You're in Lanzarote." And Lanzarote is one of the uh, uh, one, one of the islands of Spain, and, and okay. very famous for British touristers and party mm -hmm. animals going to Lanzarote in the eighties. It was yeah. Lanzarote, and we sold timeshare, and literally standing on street corners, stopping wow. English British tourists and saying, sure. "Would you like to buy a timeshare for a week in Lanzarote?" And uh -huh. And it was terrible. It, it was <laughs> it was so much fun. It was so because again, seventeen years old in Spain with uh -huh. friends. Kind of, they yeah. gave us an apartment. Didn't really get paid. We made more. Actually, made more money. Um, wow, this really is memory lane. And we we got recruited to do a Fanta ad, and we got paid more money to lie on the beach whilst they were shooting this Fanta <laughs> than we did than we did selling timeshare. I remember wow. so so uh, my girlfriend at the time was in London and yeah. I missed her and, and so 
and it wasn't working out. So I wanted to fly home. And yeah. this was way before anything like 9-11 or something like that. So you know, early 80s, mid 80s. And I remember flying home to London on a, 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 a colleague who was a woman on her ticket, on her, in wow. her name, I sure. flew back to London as her. Uh-huh. Um, and, and so I think I was about a month in Lanzarote trying to sell timeshare and yeah. just having, having the time of my life. But I missed wow. her and, I, and I, so I came home. Your and that's, that's what got me selling, selling, selling houses in Highgate. Okay, so you had a little real estate experience from your stint in Spain. I did, and, a, and a suit, and a suit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you went, no questions asked. Tomorrow, sure, let's head to Gatwick. I like because it. you can, well, yeah. because you could. I'd yeah, say. very good. So, and then you mentioned, uh, you know, you spend all this time in the media and entertainment business. You were working uh, across uh, Asia, and, you know, throughout the region. And then you, you team up with this business partner. How did you meet your business partner? I think you said his name is Michael? Yeah, so um, we, we were both in parallel universities living in Hong Kong, uh, okay. working in the media business. I, I was on the TV side of things. He was working on more of the print side of things. He was running newspapers in Hong Kong. And uh, we both found ourselves um, uh, footloose and fancy free. And a friend mm-hmm. of ours had suggested that we get together. And we had, remember we had breakfast or lunch. We had, we had a breakfast at a, a restaurant called Oscar's. Mm. Um, and by that afternoon, we were actually, we were actually trading as a company. Um, his name is Michael wow. Denmark. Okay. Our initial, the initial name for our company was Double D Media, which we thought was very funny and smart and, and <laughs> what have you. Uh, that then transformed to D2 and then it became branded. We had, we had the idea that branded was a, was a much more appropriate name than Double D Media. Probably. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so we, we, we were trading that day and, Amazing. So it's just one of those people where it's it's like when you meet one of those people and just instant connection and you had all these ideas. Yeah. You know, it was like kind of, who do you know? Who do I know? We, we, like I say, parallel universes, but an an amazing network between the two of us. And and at the time people wanted to bring their businesses to Asia or they wanted to bring entertainment to Asia. They wanted to bring TV shows to Asia and, and, and stuff. And And so we, we started just opening doors for people and, connecting um and and uh you know um uh, just just learning as we went along we we i don't think we ever had a business plan um <laughs> we certainly never had funding um or not at that stage anyway and and we we borrowed a desk or two off of a great friend called ed bean at siren films um and ended up kind of just expanding and getting our own offices and just kind of growing through that and and but yeah just, just i think still with the same attitude and spirit of, of learning, learning as you go along and le- learning from mistakes as well. Yeah, amazing. And I noticed that one of those companies you helped uh, you know, make the transition or, or uh, grow their efforts throughout Asia was a little company called YouTube, right? In 2013, you helped them launch the first FanFest event. So for those who aren't familiar, what is FanFest and, and uh, where did the inspiration come from? Sure. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily claim that we helped YouTube grow in Asia, but I, well, we, YouTube and Music Matters launched the same year. Um, uh-huh. I'd like to think that they both had the same meteoric growth. <laughs> there we go. Be, that might be a complete lie. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, the YouTube fan. Okay, so so um, we in 2006 we we launched this wonderful event called Music Matters, which was basically a conference designed to connect people within the music industry. Um, at the time, 
music was going through its Napster moment. People were stealing music, copyright infringement, all that kind of stuff. And, and all the press was negative about the industry, mm. but, the, but the music consumption was growing exponentially. And people in China were listening to English music. People in England were listening to in Hindi music. People in India were listening, you know, it was just, the world was flattening digitally. Yeah. And so we, we, we put this event together called Music Matters. Um, and I mean, there's a lovely story there. It was, it, you know, Michael and I really were making this up as we went along. We had worked for other conferences, uh, but we thought we can do this ourselves. Of course we can. How hard is that? And, and anyway, we, we, we put it together and, and um, there was a lot of, lot of stress. It was at the Four Seasons Hotel in Hong Kong and Ed, Edgar Bronfman Jr. I'll get to the YouTube thing in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Edgar Bronfman Jr. was our first keynote speaker. He, at the time, he was the president chairman of, of Warner Music. And he was flying in from New York just to do the keynote and then fly back. Wow. And we were really nervous. Warner were, were subject to a lot of speculation that EMI were going to buy them. And, and there was speculation that Warner were going to buy EMI, all this stuff. And we were really worried he wasn't going to come. And it was our first event that we did. Our, we were doing ourselves. And, and um, he showed up at the Four Seasons and so in, in, his, in, the, in the car from the airport. So Michael and I thought it would be appropriate that we went and and met him from his car and took him up in the lift to his to his suite and stuff. And mm. yeah, we had the headphones in and all this kind of stuff. And so we met him on Mr. Bronfman. Hey, thank you so much for coming to, to the event, up to his suite. Anyway, we did the event, very successful. It's it's now celebrating, we're into our 15th year this year. We can talk about it later. Um, but we were like kind of high-fiving that we we'd made it. Edgar Bronfman had keynoted at Music Matters and you know. And a couple of weeks later, we got a, a lovely handwritten note from his assistant saying, thank you so much for looking after Mr. Bronfman. Um, he really enjoyed his time in Hong Kong, and especially the two security guards you gave him when he uh, arrived at the hotel. <laughs> only the finest, only the best like, for him. Huh? I mean, talk about going from like here to, oh, okay, he thought we were screwed up. But yeah, so, so, so that, was, that was Music Matters, and, and that yep. has grown over time, and, and um, it is, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful, it's still a wonderful opportunity to bring the music industry together. We have music industry, music stars. I mean, there's, there's stuff all over behind me about it. Um, and, and from there, we just grew into, we created a thing called Digital Matters. Um, uh, and then uh, Music Matters Live, which was the music festival part of, of the event. And, and we've been called a mini South by Southwest and, and really mini. Um, you know, we have maybe 50 or 60 bands coming from all over the world to perform. Mm. Um, and, and YouTube had come to us, I think, in 2011, when we, we moved it from Hong Kong to Singapore. And, and YouTube at the time came to us and said, hey, would you like to stream your festival live? Mm. And we said, yeah, of course we can. How hard can that be? <laughs> yeah. And we ended up having to... We ended up work. It was wonderful, actually. We ended up working with the Singapore Polytechnic Media Department to get the students to produce it, hmm. so they could produce a live festival online. We were Asia's first streamed music festival. Um, we had to borrow an office from a friend, uh, the McCann Erickson office in Clark Key. The, the festival took place in place with Clark Key. Hmm. We we kind of just bolted it together. Um, sure. I remember our tech director, who we still work with now, a week before the event, was standing in the middle of Clark Key saying, so where's the internet then? 
um, and we had to we had to find an internet provider to deliver a cable, you know, and, and all that. Yep. Any, anyway, so we, so we we did it, and it was wonderful, and we learned a lot, and we worked with students. It was just you know just a great experience. Yeah. Um, and then uh, a year later, a, a friend of mine at YouTube uh, called Ben Grubbs, mm-hmm. uh, who's well known now, um, he he and I were sitting down in Hong Kong having lunch, and uh, he said could we do Music Matters Live for YouTubers, for influencers? And I was like, yeah, of course we can. What are they? <laughs> <laughs> um, now at the time, YouTube started, it was, it was Psy and hmm. dogs, on, dogs on skateboards. And, sure. and what very few people in the world knew about 2012, 2013 was this amazing new group of people that, have since become YouTube YouTubers or influencers or KOLs, but there were people like Bethany Mota and Lily Singh and Ryan Higger who all the time had about a million subscribers and these amazing audiences of people. And and so um, we put together this idea. Originally, it was we tried for Video Matters Live. Um, YouTube. Anyway, so 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 between Ben and I, we created the the YouTube Fan Fest. Hmm. Um, and the idea was simply to take uh, online stars offline, put them into a, a festival experience, and then put it back up on, online again. Um, and we create, we, we, we produced the first one. It was at, it was at Music Matters in 2013. It was at the Ritz Carlton. Um, so we did it in a ballroom. Um, hmm. And then it just grew and we were very lucky to, I think, be at the right place at the right time. It was a great partnership with YouTube. Um, it became very, very big. Um, we produced or co-produced 58 of them around the world, as far away as, as um, Sao Paulo, Toronto, Jeddah, um, closer to home in, in, uh, in uh, Jakarta, in Manila, in Taipei, in Hong Kong, in Tokyo, in Seoul, um, and just getting to learn about this amazing group of influencers and the relationship they had with their fans and, and just how different it was, fundamentally 180 degrees different to the traditional entertainment business. Um, and, and, and just learning about influence and um, learning about fan connection and mm-hmm. how important that was and learning about how they you know, how collaboration how that mattered how one plus one equals way more than two so influencer a works with influencer b they share their audience and, and and everyone wins whereas in the old school it was like i'm i'm pop star a and you're pop star b we're, we're competing for a for a share of wallet yeah, um, finite radio and, plays, finite yeah attention or spend. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, occasionally you'd get duets, but then you'd end up with who owns it and all that kind of stuff. So, mm. so yeah, we 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 just had the most amazing time touring around the world with these amazing influencers and and just learning and and um, uh, you know it became it became extremely large, very very successful. Um, so YouTube took it back in house, but but we really had an amazing learning experience. Um, like I said, working with these amazing influencers, but also streaming content live. You know, um, in these days of COVID where people aren't going to venues and, and what have you, we can look back and say, well, for nearly a decade, we have been streaming hundreds of events live. And so 
you know, it, that, that put us in quite a good place. But, but, um, but on, you know, on the back of, of the fan fest and, and, and understanding influences, we also got to understand fans and we also got to understand a lot of issues that were going on with, with fandom out there. Um, the, the majority of um, uh, YouTube fans at the time and for the stars that we were working with, the majority of the fans were teenage girls. Mm. And, and so we got a, a really interesting insight into the psych and makeup and some of the issues that were, were going on in, in social media and for teenage girls and what have you. And also as a father of a daughter, um, we, we got to really understand a lot about going very deep into um, the lives of and the psychology of, 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 being a, of being a teenage girl. It's really, really hard. And with mm. social media overlaid on top of that, um, it, it just it, it became a fascinating, fascinating insight for us in terms of can we can we create uh, an experience, a content, content and events with a purpose mm. um, uh, and, and that th that can really help this this amazing group of people. Um, and so we created. Uh, a, a wonderful event called it's a girl thing um and th this was taking social stars um not just youtubers social stars female social stars and putting them on stage um and kind of in a in like a ted for teens format we would have we would have them perform we would have them have fun and then and then do a chat show and talk about their lives mm. um and the, the audiences were predominantly teenage girls um and when you see these influencers talk about their lives and how they've got to where they are today, you know, they start off, hey, I'm, I'm here in whichever country. I, I have this many million followers. I'm, I'm a successful influencer. And then they talk about how they got to where they are. Mm. And it was extremely emotional. Um, it was for everyone, not just the, not just the audience. I mean, the, for the production team as well. Really? Because you wow. see, you, you, well, we saw these, these women, amazing women on stage opening up their hearts and telling their story about how they got to where they are. And you had stories of, of bullying and um, racism and body shaming and um, anxiety and, and what have you. And, and, and what you saw in the audience was this transformation where you'd have 5,000 girls in the audience kind of all of a sudden going, you mean I'm like you? You mean I can, I can be like you? I can succeed like you? Um, and, and, you know, we, we were getting feedback on these events on social media, um, but feedback from attendees is saying things like there was a wonderful comment that said, thank you for making me realize I'm normal. Mm. And, you know, and just kind of inspirational and very empowering. So, yeah. so you know, we, we, we've continued that kind of that frame of, of working with influencers and, um, and uh, yeah, so, so, so it's, it's been a very interesting um, transformation for us uh, in this whole kind of online online space. Yeah, that, how incredibly powerful, right? To be able to share those stories, connect people, you know, IRL as as much as you know when you're streaming these events, but to connect those dots, right? Make it make these young women understand 
that their that their role models also experience the same types of challenges that they're going through and that it's okay to talk about it and it's you know you'll overcome it but just hearing the stories sometimes is the first step towards you know oh she was successful and i can i can follow that path yeah and and and, and for, for everything everything that branded does um or we try and always have a purpose there's always there's, there's always you know, we do we do all these matters events, and you know, music matters, sports matters, digital matters, gaming matters. And if you you know, if you have the word matters, if you have the name matters in your title, you've got to walk the walk and you've got to talk the talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do things for you know, for, for, for example, I mentioned music matters. With all these bands that perform, we're, we're not just asking them to turn up and perform and, and disappear. We do a, an academy. We do a music matters academy, and and, and they get to attend for free, um, and they get to meet some of the best names in the music business um, who give them you know information and 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 mentorship and learnings that you would never find anywhere about how to succeed in the music business and even more important in the days of covid and i mean it it used to we used to call it the music matters academy because you can't google this shit (laughs) Um, but then you know when we started streaming it live on youtube it was someone had suggested that we we stopped using that phrase, but it was, it was, but it's, you know, if you've got someone like Leo Cohen, who runs, you know, the head of YouTube music sure. or Steve Lillywhite, who produced, I think yeah. eight YouTube albums or Bob wow. Ezrin, who, who, who produced the wall and, and, and countless other leading people in the music industry talking about their stories, how they made it. And then their insights into how to, how to succeed music man artist managers um uh johnny wright um uh you know i'm, I'm gonna forget everyone who's been at music managers now but <laughs> but you know real opportunities so, so we, we always try and have a purpose it's really important and and yeah. i think more important today than than ever before yeah one of the threads i've noticed throughout your history is you know figuring it out as you go along whether that's programming the, the first conference to you know launching this is the partner over over a lunch meeting so, you know, have you just always been entrepreneurial by nature? Have you always considered yourself an entrepreneur? Um, no, because I've, re- I've never looked up what the true meaning of an entrepreneur is. Um, you know, f- figuring out as we go along, could that be seen as making it up as we go along? But <laughs> I, 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 I think what I, what I love doing more than anything is connecting with people, um, whether it's face-to-face or whether it's on a, in a, you know, in a, in a virtual hangout like this or... Um, it, it, that, that's that's the our that's in my DNA. That's our that's Branded's DNA. Yeah. Um, what we then like doing is coming up with ideas that we think will work, um, and going out and selling them, and and trying to work with partners like the FanFest or like Music Matters. Music Matters originally partnered with the IFPI. Um, Sports Matters uh, with with the, with the Singapore um, government. Um, and, and just seeing what works and, and really learning from, from success. But also, um, it was Gary Davey, who was the president of Star TV, always taught us to celebrate failure and, and really learn from mistakes and share those mistakes. And, and I always say this to, to, to my team, it's like, you know, if you, if you, if you make a mistake, share it. If, you're, if you can't do something, tell us. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, and so, so kind of learning from, learning from mistakes, but also, yeah, just, just kind of having ideas and trying to, trying to make them a reality. So if that's on entrepreneurial, then, then yes. If that's stupid, um, then yes. Um, Guilty as charity. 
Yeah, but but it's it's you know we we, we try and we try and do things differently. We try and yeah. listen to people. We we often do things that aren't for the economic reason. Mm. It's more for this 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 purpose. Um, and and you know I think there was a wonderful phrase the other day. Um, the the marketing director of Dull Foods, um, a chap called Rupan Desai, he said. Um, that you can't have purpose in your message unless it's on your P and L, mm. and 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 I guess we try and we try and deliver purpose for for pretty much everything everything we do. Yeah. So what has that meant in you know this time of coronavirus? As you move all of your events virtual, how do you still reflect the purpose? How has programming changed? What is the future of live conferences, live events? What does it look like? So if you'd asked me that question four or five months ago, um, I would have said, yeah, we'll all be back in, it's all gonna be fine in September, no problem, everyone's gonna be traveling again. Cause we went through SARS, right? And, and, sure. and with history repeating itself, everything was not back to normal, but semi back to normal by August, okay. September that year. And, and there was money back in the market and, and things were almost back to normal. Um, uh, so if you, yeah, if you'd asked me four or five months ago, I'd have said, yeah, back in September. Also, if you'd asked me four or five months ago, or if you told me that Brandon was going to be a 100% digital company, I probably would have punched you or at least sort of laughed at you and poured a beer over you. So, you know, I would have had an argument, um, but, but now I'm absolutely proud and delighted and excited and scared that we've announced that Brandon is 100% virtual. And it's not just by default. We were halfway there already. Sure. Um, like I said, with things like the fan fest, it's girl thing and music matters. So, so we, we have, have pivoted, um, by the way, the word pivot is going to be our swear word at, at all that matters this year. So we've transformed <laughs> and we've evolved into a, into an online, a purely online company. Now, one day people are going to be able to travel again. People are going to want to be in ballrooms and in music venues and stadiums and what, what have you again. And, and when they are, we'll be the happiest people on the planet. But until then, we find ourselves in, I think, and uh, you know, possibly the most exciting time for a lot of the entertainment, the live entertainment business. Um, it's a scary time. Um, and, and I've said this quite a few times as well. I, I, you know, we talk about my time in Asia. I wish I was 25 years old again. Yeah. Because all of those amazing opportunities we had with the launch of satellite television and, and launching in local markets and stuff like that. That's all happening again online with, with the events industry. So many opportunities, so many opportunities for success, but also so many learnings for things that won't go so right. And, and so, you know, I, I, I wish I had another 26 year runway in front of me to learn about, about this new, this new life that we're, we're in. And, mm -hmm. You know, we, we have been listening to a lot of people about what they want from live events. You know, you've got, you've got the consumer side of things and you've got the business side of things. Um, the consumer side of things, you know, artists have all gone online. Um, you know, the, the incredible amount of, of content that's being produced from home. Um, so we took Music Matters, our, our, you know, the Music Matters team were amazing. They, they just suddenly started talking to all of our old alumni, you know, artists who'd performed at the festival before and said, hey, can we help? Can we work with you? Can we just broadcast live, live content from your houses? And, and literally 
on a on a mobile phone um they were recording from their bedrooms and their and their mm. living rooms um mm -hmm. and we called it music matters live from home not if not the first live from home content not the last live from home content sure, sure. but it was really nice and it was interactive and we had you know we the, the the artists could chat with their fans um and we ended up working with the singapore tourism board and youtube and facebook um, and really upgrading the, the content to 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 work with artists in collaborations. So we had Singaporean artists working with, with artists from around the world and Simple Plan got involved. Hmm. Um, and we ended up producing seven episodes of Music Matters Live from Home extremely professionally, um, uh, which um, delivered 10 million views on YouTube and Facebook, which was remarkable. I mean, this, was, this is something never, that we'd never heard of. Um, for, for, for some incredible artists and giving them global exposure and, and what have you. Sim Simple Plan were wonderful mentors to these artists as well. Um, but but creating collaborations between, you know, Singaporean and Filipino artists, Canadian and Indonesian artists. And, and th th these are collaborations that would never normally happen. Now, we talked about it in 2013 with the YouTube Fan Fest, where, you know, one plus one equals way, way more than two. And we've done it again now with, with more traditional kind of, um, uh, music artists so so that that was that was really exciting and we're gonna we're gonna launch season three of that um, at some stage but then at the same time we're looking at our conference business the b2b side of things and thinking how are we going to make that work because again people aren't traveling people aren't allowed in ballrooms let alone want to be in ballrooms um, and so that so then we kind of started thinking how do we, you know, we have this wonderful, so Music Matters evolved into Music Matters, Digital Matters, Gaming Matters, Sports Matters, and Marketing Matters. So five different events. Wow. Four, four or five years ago, we said, so why don't we merge the streams and put them all together into one, hmm. um, which became a wonderful event called All That Matters. And it's one of the only opportunities for all of these industries to come together. Um, and, you know, looking at, the sports industry and the music industry and the gaming industry and what have you. Uh, the first time we did it, I'm going off on all sorts of rabbit. Holes, no, anyway, great. The, 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 the first time we did it was um, a little bit like organizing a, a school disco um, because you had the sports industry in one corner and the uh -huh. music industry over here. And you could tell them all really, you know, the sports industry had button down collars. Music industry had spiky hair and tattoos. The gaming yep. industry had never seen sunlight. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and, and they were all kind of really bashful and, you know, they all knew each other in their own industry. Sure, but they didn't sure. know. Um, and it was all kind of like, who, who's that over there? And, and, and by the so end of it... how do you foster the connections, the interplay between the groups? You just stick them in a room and make them meet, meet each other. And, and, yeah. and the sports industry realized that the music industry were coming out of their Napster moment and they were the canary in the, in the coal mine, right? So the music industry was starting to make a lot of money again through streaming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sports industry was about to go into its own Napster moment, which it's unfortunately witnessing now. But they, what, what, what could they learn from music, and what could they learn from gaming, and, and, and so, so for four or five years now, we've had all these wonderful industries coming together to really learn from each other, um, and, and, you know, at different times, different years, one industry may be ahead of the other, and you know, obviously, everyone's looking at gaming at the moment as, sure. as the real kind of success story. Um, and what can they learn learn from gaming? Because gaming's mm. been online 
fundamentally since it started since since yeah. pong <laughs> um so so yeah so, so all that matters um uh usually is a big wonderful festival in in singapore in september we have a couple of thousand delegates and we have these 50 bands performing and, and all of a sudden we can't do that and, and yeah we, we we had a soul searching moment of how how are we gonna how we're we gonna do this and then then it was like Oh, I lost your audio again. How's how's this? Oh, now I got you back. Yeah. So 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 we've been streaming content for nearly a decade. Um, but how do we do this for B two B? Now we're still learning, and we've produced six or seven online sessions through the summer, um, and we've learned a lot. You know, from just from those those sessions, we've learned about you know you know. How, we're competing for time, right? People don't have, an, you know, you need another excuse to look at your laptop. You need another excuse to look at your phone. Mm -hmm. Really? And, and, and so, so we, we've understood that perhaps online events now are competing with Netflix. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, competing, they're competing with YouTube. We're competing yeah. for video time. Games, with everything. Yeah. Video games, email, WhatsApp, yeah. Instagram. So, so we've, we've had to really do a lot of soul searching and, and working with a wonderful advisory board of, I've got 36 people on my advisory board, 50% female, 40% haven't been to the event before. So, we, and we've been asking them, what do we need to do for you to pay to attend an, a, an online event? Because if we can't get people to pay, then, you know, we need to put bread on our table, right? Yeah. Um, and so, and so we, we've had a we've we've had a real exciting learning curve of you, you know um, data. Yeah, you do something online, you get this thing called data. Who knew about data before? You could count people walking into a ballroom, and you could kind of gauge their interest in stuff. But now I know exactly how many people tuned into one of our events. I know how many of them stayed on. Mm -hmm. um, we know if they drop off, when they drop off, so you can kind of gauge why. Um, we know how many people interact. Um, I know how many people registered. It's, it's wonderful. Um, we've had three and a half thousand live views to B2B con content, six B2B uh, events. That's seven times the size of a ballroom. Um, we've had over 600 questions. You'd never have that many questions. Six, you might have two or three for each mm -hmm. session. Um, we had 850 companies, individual companies register. You know, wow. it's really, really important. Now, it's not the 10 million number, but this is the B2B space. These are CEOs. Yeah. There's not that many of them out there. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, been, it's been a fascinating uh, transformation for us um, over a very short, short period of time. And now, and now we're coming into All That Matters season. Um, and and we, we launched the event two days ago. Mm -hmm. Um, as a 100% online um, uh, event. And, and if, I mean, maybe, maybe I could share um, my screen and just show two sure. or three slides of what, 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 we're, what we're doing. Yeah. Um, because it's kind of, we, we, thought, we thought to ourselves, um, well, let, me just get this, let me just get this going. We, we thought to ourselves, um, what can we do that's different? Hmm. We thought to ourselves, the internet takes down all geographic boundaries. People don't have to jump on a plane to Singapore. People don't have to book a room in a hotel. 
They don't have to take a week off work. They don't have to get jet lag. Um, but they still want to meet people. Everyone we talk to, we say to them, why do you come to All That Matters or any of our events? Mm -hmm. And 99.999% of the time they say is to meet people. Mm -hmm. the, meet, the, the program is extremely important. Having people on stage and the right people on stage absolutely is a hook. But no one, no one sits in a ballroom for three days and watch it. Well, very few people sit in the ballroom for all three days and watch all the content. They, we know that they dip in and, in and out and then they do meetings. They're in the bar, they're in the cafe. They're at the epic pool parties we used to, yeah. we used to produce. Um, but they want to meet people. So, so what we figured was with this, this wonderful worldwide web thing that we have out there, we have an opportunity to just take down the borders, invite more people than would normally come to the event, connect them with more people that would normally come to the event, um, and actually create something that, again, has a purpose. Um, and, and purpose is absolutely the heart and soul of, of everything that we're doing with, with All That Matters this year. Um, but we have a lot of competition. Um, we have, there's a lot of things called webinars going on. Um, I had, I counted, oh, just the most amazing rainstorm just started outside my window. Um, I've counted 125 invitations to webinars in the last four weeks, just by putting the word webinar in my search bar in, in, in my email. Uh -huh. And I've been, and I haven't gone to 123 of them. Um, <laughs> so, so there so you we go, have, that's we, yeah, and we have to, so, so we have to compete for space. We have to have a purpose. We have to be useful. We have to really kind of provide an opportunity for people to want to be there. Um, so, so the theme this year is, is connections that matter. We're, we, everything we're doing is about networking. We have an amazing program with some amazing speakers, which we can talk about. Um, but really, it's about the networking, and it's about the opportunity to meet people that you never would have met before. Our, our sub-theme um, that we're not necessarily promoting so, so publicly <laughs> is, is we're not another effing webinar because yeah. we're not. We, we really are trying to do something different. And, and in doing that, we thought, what, what can we do that's different because it's the internet, because it's the World Wide Web, that isn't another webinar? So we thought, well, mid-September, schools are going to be mostly back. Um, but people, kids are going to be mostly still at home. Um, and so why don't we turn this into a proper festival and invite our attendees' kids for free? Hmm. You know, we've been producing content for teens and, and, uh, and kids for years. Part of, the, part of all the, the online stuff we've been doing, there's always an academy. We've done the Digital Matters Academy. We've done the Music Matters Academy. We've done the uh, uh, academies at the Fan Fest. We've always done this, but these are in consumer events so we thought well why don't we create content for kids based on the program so if we've got sure. youtube stars talking at all that matters then let's do something for teens on how to be a youtube star um let's do something for university students on how to get into the gaming industry how to get into the music industry i mean more important than ever career advice we yeah. thought let's uh, let's um make it really easy for people out of work to attend and join us and do sessions with all of our speakers on career, on how to, uh, how to, how to change your career, how to, how to rebuild your LinkedIn profile, how to find a job. Um, so we're, again, we're being useful um, with, with people who are, who are finding work. So, so we've invented um, the family pass, we're calling it Family Matters, and we're doing content for 
under 18s, under 12s, and under 6s. And so if you register for All That Matters, your kids can come free. Now, whether that's also working with football teams and, and having uh, players provide um, meeting, you know, doing meetings and fan meetups, whether it's meeting gamers, whether it's learning about the gaming industry, whether we do work, um, um, workshops around uh, mental health and well-being in the gaming industry. Gamers are athletes. People, people think that they're these teenagers who are jacked up on energy drinks. They are athletes and they are suffering the same way that athletes do. So, so how do we do work? How do we, how do we be useful for the gaming industry? So we're, we're, we're creating some really, really cool content that wouldn't normally happen. You can, you can, you know, you go to a festival, you can take your kids and you can come to all that matters and, and you can take your kids. So we're really, we're really excited about this. We're nervous as hell because no one's ever done this before. Um, and, Again, we're all learning, um, but we, we, think, we think we're doing the right thing because we're providing a purpose and we're being useful. It's five days long. No one is gonna sit there watching content for five days, but they might drop in and out for, for the content because we have a great program. But there also, there are meeting rooms, there are, op there are networking sessions. You can see everyone who's at the event. You can, well, meet people at the event. And, and then of course, we'll have these fun, fun sessions for, for kids. Why don't we have children's entertainment? Thunder, why don't we have children's entertainment for under sixes as well? Because we can. And so we're, we're really trying to have, have a lot of fun. Um, and then finally, just, just something yeah. here that we're, we're, we're this, is, this is our content checklist, but it's also the event checklist. We need to tick these boxes, otherwise we're not, we're not gonna succeed. And this is again from, from getting countless hours and hours of advice from, from a lot of amazing people who I'll for, eternally be grateful for, but, but is all that matters or is this content that I'm watching now, is it relevant to now? Does it really serve a purpose? Is it educational? Will I learn from this session or from this event? Um, we need it to be looking forward. Everyone knows what happened behind, everyone knows what, what the past looked like, but what's the future gonna look like? So we're doing sessions called Reimagine. Reimagine music, reimagine gaming, reimagine sport. What's it going to look like in the future? And then finally, is it functional? And, and, and really, is this session going to help me now, today? Um, and, and we think that if, if, we can, if we can tick those four boxes as an event and for each speaker, then, then you know, we, we hope we are we're helping to build a model that might work for the, for the, for the future. We're also sharing this with all of our friends who also do online events, who also used to do B2B events, maybe used to be called competitors, but we're creating a market. And if we don't share this information, you know, it's gonna be a slow, slow growth. So, so we're working with or sh you know, sharing knowledge, sharing information, learning from our mistakes, learning from other people's mistakes. Um, and, and, you know, who knows, as I say, I'm, I, I'm so excited about this. And I've never been so scared and nervous and, and you know, <laughs> honest about, about what might happen. So, so well, we that hope that you're doing something we, right. Well, I, I, I don't know. You know, if someone said to me last year, how many people will attend All That Matters? I know that it's between 1,800 and 2,000. We know that number. Um, if someone asked me today, how many people do we think are going to attend? If I'm honest, I don't know. I really don't know. I would sure. like to think that we'll, we'll, we will beat that number but we're expecting people to pay. By the way, last year it was 1,500 US dollars to attend. Now it's 99. 
and if you're out of work it's 49 dollars and 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 there's content for you if you're a university student it's free up to a, up to a certain capacity but we're, we're 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 engaging with universities to bring their students for career career um advice and of course as we said kids kids come for free too so so that's we're, fantastic yeah, the accessibility to us is is uh is really really important um, yeah I, I think that's you know i'm not trying to to do this as an ad for what we're doing, I'm, I'm trying to do it, to, trying to show you how we're thinking and what we're thinking in this mm -hmm. in this new space of um, online events um, and and how exciting it is. But you know, we need we do need to get people to pay, and that's that's the biggest unknown unknownable. Of course, well, lots to look forward to. So thanks for sharing the methodology and you know the the strategy that goes into retooling, right, pivoting, as you said. How do we take this conference that we've done for years and turn it into something virtual, but not just stick to the format and say, okay, we're just going to put this online because that's not going to work. Let's reimagine what an online first event needs to look like and build it around the attendees so the audience will get something out of it. So that's incredible and, and seems like a lot to look forward to this year with all that matters. Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, and, and you know, I think the future, I hope, you know, we, we had we, we ran an image once of the, one of our pool parties at the Ritz Carlton, which we said we're famous for, and it just said we'll be back. You know, we do hope that we will be back in a room yeah. with all of our friends. Um, and and but, but it was Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy said um, he can't imagine any event in the future not having a, a digital component. This has been a massively needed kick up the ass for all of us mm -hmm. to get digital and. You know, let's let let's see what that looks like. That you know, the word hybrid is being thrown around a lot at the moment, mm -hmm. um, and and so so we'll see we'll see we'll you know we'll we will be reimagining um, the future of the events business. Fantastic. Well, we're just about out of time, but I want to finish up with some rapid fire questions just to round things out. Um, let's start with predictions for the future. If you were you know thinking ahead to what does the the media and entertainment landscape look like over the next three to five years, what do you see coming next? Um, I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation amongst media companies. I think there's going to be um, a lot of ch huge changes is happening and coming. Um, but I, in the event space, I think hybrid is the is the is the way forward. Um, I hope that they, you know Dave Grohl wrote a wonderful piece in the Atlantic um, saying that you know he wants everyone wants that festival experience to be back. We want to be shoulder to shoulder, sweating and and having fun with with people we've never met before. So I, I hope for that. I don't know when that's going to be. Um, but yeah, I, th I think uh, the future is hybrid. Awesome. And if you were starting a business in the digital media space today, in this environment, what would you do, right? Thinking as an entrepreneur, what's the white space out there? If you were that 25-year-old in Hong Kong now, what would you be thinking about? Where's the opportunity for innovation? I think ed tech is suddenly really sexy. Um, you know, everyone has become, every parent has become a teacher in the last six months and understanding Google Classroom and Firefly and all these kind of things. Um, so I, I, think, I think getting into EdTech in Shanghai or Beijing, learning Chinese would be, uh, would be my, my uh, rebirth. Very good. And Jasper, where can people find out more about you and more about Brandon? Um, at the moment, allthatmatters.asia is the, the website for the event. Uh, Branded.live is uh, our, our website and I am at Jasper Donut on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, everything. 
when there you, when you have a name when you have a name like mine it's quite easy to You're easy and, to and spell wrong as well <laughs> i bet well jasper thanks again for uh walking us through your journey and sharing you know how do conferences embrace a digital era right how do we build something new from the ground up it's exciting to see it's exciting to be a part of and uh thanks for taking the time to just share your insights with uh, with our audience it's been been such a pleasure it's been a pleasure to, to an honor to, to join you james thank you so much thanks for tuning in i'm james creech and this has been another edition of all things video if you like what you hear we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes see you next time